RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I'm your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, December 11th. I hope you've gotten your Christmas shopping done. If you're like me, you haven't even started. Uh, I got to share a quick story. Back uh, last month on the 9th, November 9th, I actually had a vehicle accident. Uh, you know, my car wasn't totaled, so you would assume that within a week or two, I would have my car back from the body shop. But that was the biggest cluster uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, I drive a Hyundai Equus, which is, uh, I guess, the, the Hyundai's version of like the Mercedes S550 or the BMW uh, 750 series. And between the parts getting delivered to the wrong spot and everything else that went on with it, I literally just got my car back yesterday, Monday, over a month uh, that the body shop had my car. Uh, So I almost forgot how to drive. Uh, You know, it it had been that long, but thankfully I finally got my car back. So I just need to reacclimate myself to learning how to drive. I want to jump right into it because we have a lot to cover this evening. Uh, first, I want to start with Sergeant Ron Helis. Uh, you may remember him from being the hero uh, police officer that ran into the uh, club there in Thousand Oaks, California uh, last month during an active shooting there at uh, Borderline Bar and Grill. Uh, he was actually shot six times with Sergeant Ron Helis, but a new report just came out, which is pretty heartbreaking. Uh, the coroner said he would have survived five of the six shots. The sixth shot was actually fired into his heart, and that's the shot that killed him. And what's sad about that is it was actually from the rifle of a California Highway Patrolman. And, and that's that's tragic for so many reasons. I mean, here you have a California Highway Patrolman that essentially will not uh, be able to live that down. Of course, we can assure it wasn't uh, anything intentional uh, that that California Highway Patrolman was doing exactly what Sergeant Ron Helis did. He was responding to an active shooter and he was engaging the target to eliminate the threat. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's tragic that Sergeant Ron Helis lost his life. It's even more tragic that it was a result of friendly fire. That's something that uh, I don't think this other California Highway Patrolman will ever get over. So I want to read a a statement from the CHP uh, about this incident. The California Highway Patrol is profoundly saddened to learn of the new details emerging from the horrific incident which resulted from the daily actions of suspect Ian David Long at the Borderline Bar and Grill on November 7th. We know that the Ventura County Sheriff Sergeant Ron Helis and the CHP officer bravely entered the bar together and engaged the suspect who had already shot and killed numerous people inside the establishment. The suspect, who had been lying in wait for the officers to arrive, immediately ambushed the pair with gunfire as they entered the building. While the officers' actions prevented the suspect from shooting more patrons, tragically during the brief and chaotic gunfight that ensued a round by 
Our officers struck Sergeant Helis. The mere thought of something like this happening is devastating to all of us and underscores the difficult and dangerous circumstances law enforcement faces, often with only mere seconds to react. On behalf of the 11,000 members of the California Highway Patrol, I extend my heartfelt condolences to Sergeant Helis, his family, his friends, and the men and women of the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. There are no words that can express, that can be expressed as to the incredible sorrow his family is dealing with. Without question, Sergeant Helis died a hero while protecting his community from a dangerous criminal. In the face of that danger, Sergeant Helis courageously upheld the oath he took to lay down his life rather than to swerve from the path of duty. And that's directly from the California Highway Patrol there. Again, such such a tragic case. And, you know, we don't hear these cases too often where someone is killed by friendly fire, as it's known. But unfortunately, it, it does happen, you know, especially when uh, things are going so fast and they're as chaotic as they are. Um, so tragic on so many levels that that uh, CHP officer that actually shot his brothering will likely need a lot of uh, counseling, probably likely a lot of prayers uh, to move on with his life. But how do you really move on from that? Now, I want to go out to Baltimore. Uh, you know, there was there was something I, I saw on my Facebook feed uh, either Friday or Saturday night. I believe it was Saturday. It was a story I hadn't heard um, out of Baltimore. There was a black woman killed. Uh, but the reason I didn't hear it, of course, it didn't fit the mainstream media narrative. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about it. And one of my friends who was on Nashville Police Department uh replied to my post about it, and she said something uh, that I definitely want to get to. So essentially, uh, a man and his wife were out celebrating their daughter's birthday, I believe, and they went to drop her off. She lived about a block away. Uh, And at some point, when they were in their vehicle, uh, a young lady approached them uh, holding uh, what they thought was a baby. I believe she had a stroller and, you know, asking for money. so, of course, the lady, being a good citizen, wanted to give the young lady money. So as she did that, another individual, a black male, uh, came up to the car and said, hey, we just can I thank you? Uh, and she's like, sure, no problem. And as soon as uh, she said that, he actually stabbed her several times in the chest, reached in the car and stole her purse and fled the scene, I believe, uh, as of right now. Police are still looking for this man and this woman. And, you know, the husband went on the media and gave a heartfelt uh, memory of his wife. And he talked about passing laws to prevent people from just flocking and, you know, standing around and coming up to cars, which is pretty prevalent and rampant right now in Baltimore. And, you know, had I not seen this on a Facebook feed, I never would have known about it because, again, it wasn't on MSNBC or uh, CNN or anything like that. So when I I shared the video, I actually said in other news, because there actually is other news that goes on in this country. uh, You know, he he talked about, you know, you you go to help someone and and this is the result of it. Uh, But, you know, I've talked about Baltimore on this show uh, several times and how as a 
a result of the Freddie Gray fiasco and the, the riots and the protests we saw there. Uh, you know, police not wanting to police and be proactive. And here's this guy that's saying, hey, this is out of control. You just got people just standing around, flocking to cars, begging for money, and you never know what could happen. Uh, but, you know, I, I will go out on a limb. And just like my friend Melissa said, it's because this is the same community that didn't want police to actually do policing. And I said it before, I'll say it again. And anytime you do that, when you tell police, well, we don't want you here and we only want you to react if we call you, then it leads to that stuff. And I think whoever did this, the, the, the female and the male, actually knew that, yeah, police, A, they're probably not around where they're going to catch me right away. They're probably not going to see it because they're not out being proactive. And the thing about proactive policing, part of that is showing your face. So I assure you, if police were there rounding up all these uh, vagrants that were uh, just, you know, hanging around, panhandling, uh, going up to cars, begging for money, I assure you, uh, this young lady wouldn't have lost her life. This father uh, slash husband would not be on the news crying uh, about the loss of his his wife and, you know, the, the, the mother of his daughter. You know, how do you actually go into the Christmas holiday uh, just, you know, what, 14 days away without your spouse that you've been married to for 20 plus years because you live in a city where your community said, hey, we don't want the police here and we need police reform. And you just basically force the hands of police to say, well, if you don't want us here, we're definitely not going to be proactive. Your crime rate's going to go up. And it has. And I said it, you know, as a result of Freddie Gray, crime in Baltimore continues to go up, continues to go up. There's so many issues going on in Baltimore right now. You got fired commissioner. You got a temporary commissioner. They're looking for a commissioner, you know, but people are still asking for police reform. And as all this is going on, you know, crime is going up. Anytime you're murdered in broad daylight, sitting in your car, I don't think that's a city I would ever, ever want to live in you know, because of that. Because, you know, again, law, it's not that law enforcement can't get a grip on it. It's that law enforcement is told, we don't want you here. So, I guess the old saying goes, we can show you better than we can tell you. Uh, it's sad, you know, uh, but when you force someone's hand because they don't want to be the next person on CNN or the next person on MSNBC or New York Times for simply doing their jobs, then that's the result of what you have. And speaking of doing a job, uh, I want to talk about a new law that's being passed around in New York. But before I get to that, speaking of doing jobs. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the video that's uh, made its round. It's gone viral, as they call it, of New York City police actually, um, you know, the captions snatching a baby from a mother. And uh, city officials are saying the video is very disturbing. And, you know, I guess it's all in your perception. Uh, so the skinny of it is um, this young lady was at the uh, social services office or whatever you call it for several hours uh, trying to figure out why she wasn't getting her food stamps or something like that. She sat on the floor. She was asked to leave several times by the security guard. 
Uh, the security guard eventually called police because that's what people do when people are breaking the law. Trespassing is breaking the law. Uh, so, of course, when police arrived, uh, you know, they told her she had to leave and she commits to putting on a scene. Uh, now, while she's doing this, she's holding her, I believe, one year old. So police, their job is to arrest the person that has committed the crime. Of course, a one-year-old can't go to jail. They can't ride in the back of the police car. So, of course, you have to separate those individuals. Uh, so, of course, people got out their cell phones, started taping it, and, you know, it's abuse of power, excessive force, and all of this other stuff. Uh, of course, she was charged with resisting arrest and uh, something about a failure to exit a government building or something like that. I don't know what the exact code was. Uh, but the uh, district attorney has decided to drop those charges because of the, the image, I guess you, you could say, um, of what happened here. Now, you know, I watched the video. You know, does it look horrible? Yeah, I guess. Again, it's, it's perception. But, you know, I've done the job of policing. And, you know, one of the things you have to do is control the individual you're attempting to take to jail. But I guess, you know, the bigger issue here is, you know, it could have gone such a totally different way had she just gotten up, 23-year-old Jasmine Headley, had she just gotten up when police told her to, likely, more than likely, because again, officer discretion, she wouldn't have gone to jail. They would have just escorted her out of the building because she was trespassing. She was asked to leave. Um... So I, I guess are are we at a point now where, and and you know I, I've done that job in policing. People even when I was doing it will act a fool just because they don't want to go to jail, just because they want people to see them acting a fool. You know, uh, for whatever reason, people act silly, if you will, when when they're being arrested. But are we at a point now where even though you've broken the law? If you act a certain way in your actions with police, because, yeah, we can debate the video all day, every day. But the fact is, she was under arrest at that point for trespassing because she had been given the opportunity to leave. She was then resisting arrest. So are we at the point now where if you act a fool and you're black and the officer happens to be white, then you can just get a free pass on the actual criminal acts that you have done? Because if we're at that point now, there's going to be a lot of people that get a free ride. Well, not even a free ride, a free get out of jail free card, if you will, because all they have to do is wait for the cell phone cameras to come out, start acting a fool. And then, you know, prosecutors and district attorneys across the country will say, well, we're not going to uh, prosecute because it, it looks bad. You know, oh, and by the way, she had a an outstanding fraud warrant in the state of New Jersey, which she knew about that, I'm sure, uh, because you usually, when you have warrants on you, you've done a crime and you've likely been arrested for it or something like that. So, uh, you know, if that's if that's the new standard, you know, just act a fool and get out of going to jail, we are in a lot of trouble. You know, I just talked about Baltimore and, you know, this guy just being brave enough to walk up to a car and stab a lady. You know, now imagine if he walked into a car, stabbed the lady, killed her, took her purse. Police show up. He acts a fool. And because because those officers are white, oh, we're not even going to prosecute for the murder. 
how do you think that dad and that husband uh, would have felt about that? Don't think he would have liked it. So uh, that was here in New York City. Uh, I'm actually in New York right now. I got about 20 minutes before I got to head to the airport. Uh, but speaking of New York, so there's a state law making its rounds up in Albany, which, of course, is the capital of New York. And there's a uh, Democrat who uh, Senator Kevin Parker, who essentially says hateful tweets uh, should prevent people from getting a gun. Now, included in those hateful tweets are anything that has to do with terrorism, which really it's kind of a federal law to do terrorism. So I can understand that. But he goes on to say, well, if a person has made racist slurs uh, in the past, that uh, they should be prevented from getting a gun. And he wants to go back, I think, six years here. Uh, He wants police to be able to, when you go to apply for a handgun, you have to According to what he wants to pass, turn over your logins to your your Facebook, your Twitters, all of that stuff, Instagram, uh, your Google searches, all of that for the past year so investigators can look at it. And if there's anything that says terrorism or anything racial, you should be denied getting a gun. Well, there's problems with that on so many levels. Uh, A, police departments just don't have the manpower to be the background investigators for someone uh, applying for a handgun. Uh, That's number one. And then B, again, terrorism, yes, is illegal. Yes, the FBI investigates terrorism claims. Uh, Does stuff get missed? Yeah. So I don't see how this law is going to change anything. Um, But, you know, especially if someone has used a racial slur against a black person. Now, say what you want, how you feel about it. The fact is, and I'll I'll share a quick story, I was called to a scene where a a black male wanted me to arrest his neighbor because he called his son the N-word. And, you know, me being a black male, I looked that individual in the eye and said, well, sir, uh, sorry that that happened, but it's not illegal for your neighbor to call your son the N-word. That's not a crime. You know, you can say how you feel about it, but it's, it's not a crime. And I guess the bigger issue is, too, so since he's saying racial slurs or ethnic slurs in the black community, the N-word is tossed around more than a football at an NFL Super Bowl game. So would that then eliminate African-Americans from getting a gun because they use racial slurs? Because it is a racial slur if someone that is white says it. So would that apply to African-Americans as well? Well, on your Twitter, sir, you use the N-word 15 times in one day. Therefore, you can't get a gun. You know, yeah, I, I, I just think it's really silly to be able to determine the fact that someone used a racial slur, that they're just going to go out and kill a bunch of people. Uh, because let's be honest, there's a lot of people that have concealed carry permits or open carry permits, depending on what state you're in that probably are racist, but they're not going around shooting black people. They're not going around doing mass shootings. So, I mean, to me, this this bill is one-sided, and really it's probably, probably some hidden way geared to tracking, I guess, who your racists are. 
And then then what? You since you have access to their their Facebook, their Twitters, their Instagrams, then what? Do you actually go and publicly shame them? You know, well this person applied for a gun and ten years ago or in the last year he used the word in. Or better yet, let's go out on a limb. Now I've seen it, and I'm sure we all seen it, and you have your your white followers on Instagram or Facebook or whatever your social media is, and they will post a meme that has the N word in it. So does that then make them a racist? Does that then mean that they've used the N word? So, I mean, to me, this, this bill itself is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, I don't think it has any merit to it. Uh, you know, again, if we want to check, you know, anything that be, could be terrorist related. Absolutely. But again, the FBI and other federal agencies already do that. So, uh, you know, to, to put that in police hands at the local level, A, would be a manpower issue and B, would be pointless, in my opinion. Uh, so speaking of New York, again, a lot of stuff going on in New York. Um, as you know, or you may not know, uh, the officer, uh, Daniel... Penatello, who was actually the officer uh, that uh, put Eric Garner in a chokehold back in 2014, uh, had a hearing uh, last week to set a disciplinary action, administrative proceeding, I guess, against him, which is set to start in May. Now, if you remember, Eric Garner was a um, black male who was outside of a New York City bodega selling loose cigarettes. Um, he was asked to leave by the owner of the store, he didn't leave. Police were called, of course, uh, when police attempted to get him to leave. Again, he resisted arrest. You can see uh, in that video, which, of course, went viral back in 2014, Daniel Ponitello, uh placing Eric Garner in a chokehold. Uh, you can hear Eric Garner say several times he couldn't breathe, he couldn't breathe. Uh, and he later died, I believe, at the hospital. Uh, so he had his hearing December 6th. There's going to be an administrative proceeding in May to decide should he return to full duty. He's on desk duty right now, or uh, should he be fired? Uh, the grand jury decided not to prosecute on murder charges. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot going on with that, uh, why they made that decision. Um, so right now, of course, his attorneys are saying that uh, Eric Garner did not die from strangulation uh, of the neck from a chokehold because they, they look at the autopsy and they actually say his windpipe and his hyoid bone were both intact. And typically when you see a strangulation, uh, they've been crushed or damaged at some point. But the chief medical examiner says she doesn't agree with that. You don't necessarily have to see that to say someone died from strangulation. And maybe based on that autopsy, that's why um, uh, the officer was not charged with murder. And again, it's still uh, a much bigger case to prove murder when you're acting in the line of duty. Uh, and there's this thing called uh, position, positional asphyxiation, uh, which basically means someone uh, essentially passes out then dies because they could not breathe. Typically, if someone has them bent in a certain way or if someone is on top of them while they're resisting or something like that. But again, it does not 
lead to the intent of murder. So that is actually set for May 2019 to decide whether he should be terminated or return to full duty. Uh, so a lot going on in New York. Um, you got this bill going around. If people, if they've used a racial slur, they should be denied a concealed carry permit. Uh, again, does that include uh, African-Americans that have used the N-word on their social media? Because, again, it's a racial slur. And does it include uh, uh, Caucasians that have posted memes with the N-word in it? Maybe there was no racial intent. Uh, with that, maybe they were just posting the meme because they thought it was funny and it happened to have the N-word in it. So uh, a lot going on. Uh, world's getting crazy. You know, you got Baltimore off the chain. Their crime rate's going up. Uh, you know, you got people getting away from their criminal actions by essentially acting crazy on a video. And again, if you haven't seen it, go watch the video of the, the young lady in New York. All you have to do is Google police snatch baby for mom and trust me, it will pop up. Go watch the video for yourselves. You know, you may say it looks bad. Me being a person that has been in policing and had to separate people and even children from their parents when they were getting ready to go to jail, I definitely understand it because the police officer's job is to effect the arrest and using the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest. Uh, but again, just think about it. Let us sit in. If the new standard is, all I have to do is act a certain way when the camera starts rolling based on my skin color and based on the officer's skin color, what kind of world will we be in when we get there? And I mean, from the sounds of it, we may actually already be there um, because that's what happened here. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, crazy. All right, at any rate, I got to get ready to head to the airport. Before I go, I'd be remiss if I did not do my 10-7 segment. Uh, tonight, I want to honor Deputy U.S. Marshal Chase S. White with the U.S. Department of Justice, U.S. Marshal Services. End of watch was Thursday, November 29, 2018. Deputy Marshal Chase White was shot and killed at 5.30 p.m. while attempting to serve a warrant at a home on 15th Avenue, in Tucson, Arizona. He and the other officers were attempting to arrest the man who had been charged with the stalking of a law enforcement officer. The man opened fire, killing Deputy Marshal White before barricading himself inside his home. He surrendered approximately one hour later. Deputy Marshal was a member, I'm sorry, Deputy Marshal White was a member of the U.S. Air Force Reserve and had served with the U.S. Marshals for three years. He was survived by his wife and children. His wife and children that in 14 days will not have their father and their husband there opening presents at the Christmas tree. I want to thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate you. I love you. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Radioinfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a sitting ringside with David Penzer. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Please welcome our guest on sitting ringside, host of the Raven Effect, the one and only Raven. I wanted to be a wrestler and so they weren't letting me. So I was like, all right, you know, so for a while I was like, well, I'm a manager. That's okay. 
you know, but once they took me off and, and I was also doing the, uh, the commentary with Vince and then Lawler came back. So then he moved me to the wraparound shows, all America. And, uh, but they had me as a producer. I had a, or my office on the fourth floor was across from Pat and Bruce's, you know, so they were grooming me for the booking committee, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to wrestle. So I quit. And then I was talking to DDP one day and I go, and he's going, man, he goes, you gotta, you gotta give the, I, I know what it was. I was like, I was like, man, I like being a chicken shit heel, man. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, because we were just, com- you know, commemorating. And uh, and I was like, man, but, and he's like, yeah, but nobody's buying a chicken shit heel these days. I, I go, but but there's so much mileage in it. He goes, yeah, but that's not who's booking now. So, in the you know, in the companies, you got to be a tough guy. I'm like, I don't want to be a tough guy. Everybody's a tough guy. He's like, I think you should go that way. So I said, all right, let me think about it. So I came up with the whole alternative idea. And really, it was just a matter of, the joviality that I that I always used to um, put a, put out for you know put front put in front of me was just the shield to hide the the insecurities that I really had and the you know and the anxieties and fears and I decided to take that and make it into a character. Sitting ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 